This is episode number 31 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. The topic of this episode is around developer education and more so in two different perspectives, the perspective of the educator as well as the perspective of the person consuming the educational material. With me on the show today, I have two different guests. The first guest is Adrian Tack, who is the author of Coding for Kids Python as well as some developer courses on LinkedIn Learning. My second guest is Alex Ziskind, who also has courses on LinkedIn Learning, but primarily has courses on his own teachable platform for native script development. Growing your skills and remaining modern is something that all developers need to be concerned with. While Adrian, Alex, and myself are all developer educators, we're always working towards staying relevant in the developer space by learning new material. That's really what this episode is about. How do you learn something new and how do you teach it to somebody else? And as a, as a result of doing such, you're also going to grow as a developer. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm with Adrian Take and Alex Ziskin, and we're going to be exploring what it takes to grow as a developer in terms of education, as well as teach other developers. So this is through books, video courses, conferences, anything else that's similar. But before we get into the core Uh, material of this particular episode, I want to give Adrian and Alex a chance to introduce themselves. So how are you doing, Adrian? We'll start with you. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. I'm great. Uh, Just like you said, my name is Adrian Tekka. I am a software engineer, a published author of the book Coding for Kids Python, and moving more into hopefully creating uh, more courses like Alex. So what kind of uh, programming technologies are you using currently? Right now, I'm using uh, mostly C-sharp and vanilla JavaScript. Awesome. And you're actually located in Las Vegas, correct? That is correct. Awesome. And how about you, Alex? What are you up to lately? I live in Washington, D.C., and uh, lately I've been busy with uh, my new son, um, nine months old now, and uh, I've created a platform for video courses called Native Scripting. This is for Native Script-specific video courses. Um, I've, um, I've been, uh, publishing courses on Pluralsight and LinkedIn in the past. So I took that experience and started doing this, but in the past, I've been a C-sharp developer for many years and even SharePoint, dare I say. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, I have no experience with SharePoint, but I hear terrible things about it. Um, I don't know if those, that's true or not. It's true. Uh, it is true. All right. That's why it's so yeah. <laughs> so in terms of uh, the types of things that you're working on, I know that, uh, Adrian, you have a very successful book, um, uh, Coding for Kids Python, right? Uh, um, yes, it's, uh, it seems to be doing pretty well. Um, for me, the success comes from seeing all the different kinds of people that are, are buying this book. So even though it's called Coding for Kids Python, uh, there are a lot of new devs that do get it um, because they want to learn Python. Or, um, I don't know, they said the, the cover looks cool. It seems like something that they can understand. So um, for me, in that sense, that's what makes me pretty happy. As long as they can learn from my book and set a solid foundation for programming, then uh, to me, that's success. Awesome. And uh, Alex, you're an online instructor, but you're actually 
I think would probably be more well known because of your your online video uh, LMS system, right? Your learning man- management system that you have for native scripting. Uh, you want to yes. Uh, so uh, the LMS I use is actually Teachable, but uh, my own uh, my own platform is uh, is based on um, Gatsby. So I use uh, Gatsby JS for the front end. Uh, uh, but uh, to get back to what you're, I, I think you're getting at is, um, uh, I'm lear- I'm teaching people and um, hold on a sec. Let me let me <laughs> gather. No my worries. Here. What was your question again? Um, no, I was just pointing out that uh, you you're you're very successful in your online uh, courses that you've produced on uh, nativescripting.com, ah. or is it org? Yes. Ah, it's nativescripting.com, yes. And yes. Um, successful is a relative term, so thank you for tooting my horn a little bit there, Nick. Uh, I do have 10,000 students over there right now and uh, many more on my Pluralsight courses, and um, those are getting a little bit outdated. I just wanted to spread my wings a little bit with nativescripting.com and uh, sort of be able to freely create the courses that I feel are needed, whereas on Pluralsight you have to deal with a little bit more red tape. So I wanted to break free, and that's why I created Native Scripting. So uh, yes, it, it is getting uh, quite a bit of following, and I think it's growing year after year. Now it's been uh, live for about two years, so I'm pretty happy doing that right now. Awesome, and I want to definitely get into uh, more on what it, ta- what it took for you, Adrian, to uh, create and publish this book, as well as you, Alex, on what it takes to uh, record and publish and kind of grow your online presence for this uh, course platform. But before we do that, I want to uh, take a step back and maybe explore how do you two grow as developers? Because the three of us are developers. You're obviously constantly learning. You have to be as a developer uh, to, to keep up. So, I mean, starting with you, Adrian, what, how, how, do you, how do you learn? How do you, how do you grow? Um, I was just talking about this last night, actually, at a, a JavaScript LA meetup. And for me personally, uh, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, uh, I need some sort of driving force or motivation for me to learn something new. There needs to be a need for me to learn something. So I can have a list of tutorials that I would want to go over, but if I don't have a, a direct need for me to learn that, I'm probably never going to get through those tutorials. But um, a good example of this would be um, going to hackathons. Uh, my husband and I love going to hackathons. and there, you know, the direct need is I would really love to win that prize, whatever that is, an Oculus Rift or, you know, $5,000, whatever that is. And um, by going in there and putting myself in that situation, uh, I, I better learn. I better <laughs> read the docs and, and do something to learn. Um, and for hackathons, specific, well, for hackathons specifically, um, this is where I got most of my React Native knowledge. Um, that's the first time I read about it, learned it, and, and used it, and built something with it. So, so at this hackathon where you learned React Native, um, you, you obviously had the need to, to learn it because you wanted to win that prize. But that process of learning it, I mean, at this hackathon, I know that there's generally workshops and, and things like that. Where, how did you pick it up coming to this hackathon with, with no knowledge at all about it? I mean, it helps that I did have some React knowledge previously, so it doesn't directly port over, but there's at least that basic knowledge. And then just using what's available online, um, very similar to the Create React App template for helping you get started with React apps. 
there are a lot of tools and uh, pre-built templates for React Native, and those are some of the ones that I use. Um, one tool is called Expo, and that gets you up and running to create apps on your phone, uh, and that's what we used uh, during these hackathons. Now, these hackathons, in case viewers um, or listeners are not too familiar with, with uh, how they go, um, are, these, are these generally free events, or do you have to pay to participate? Kind of uh, we tend to go to the ones that are feasible or free. Uh, the ones that I've been mentioning, it's called Money 2020. Uh, they are only $10 to participate. So that for me, that's not bad. Uh, there are other ones that are more costly. I tend not to go to those. <laughs> Are the are the prizes better? Is the competition more fierce? I, um, I wouldn't know. At least for the the super expensive ones, sure. but for, at least for Money Twenty Twenty, uh, for a ten dollar ticket, the prizes are well worth it. Um, not only do you get some sort of monetary value or whatever sponsor prizes uh, that are ex explicit to that company, um, sometimes you have the chance to actually pitch your idea to the conference attendees, and that's that's way more valuable than any uh, monetary. A direct money monetary value you get straight from the hackathon. Got it. Makes sense. And how about you, Alex? What's what's your process for for learning and and growing as a developer? Well, uh, I'm actually uh, I went to school for software engineering back in the day, so that's my college education, right? <laughs> but right. I, I feel very. I feel like uh, a lot of the time I spent there was because I kind of had to be there. And I also feel strongly that you don't need that. You actually can learn everything you need without having that degree. And I, I don't believe that employers, employers are actually looking for that these days. They want experience. So how, how do I learn? Pretty much everything I know these days is not learned in college. It's just basically digging in yourself. There's lots of different ways to learn and um, everyone has a different preference for learning. Um, I, I know that there's something called learning style. I, I don't really believe in learning style. I just think it's what you prefer. So people have a preference for reading books. People have a preference for looking at courses. But I think that you should actually attack it from all the different available vectors because that'll make your brain sort of exercise a little bit, right? So if I, I, I myself prefer watching video courses, that's how I like learning. I just hop on Pluralsight. If there's a new topic that I want to learn, I will go on there and I will find a video course. I will learn about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But let's say that uh, a course is not available. Then I will go and seek out a workshop or even YouTube. Believe it or not, there's some really good quality on YouTube right now. Um, people are making YouTube videos that are higher and higher in quality. There's a lot of bad mm -hmm. stuff on there as well. But uh, um, yeah, whatever you can get your hands on, and books especially. Books are, they go through a rigorous process of uh, editing, and it just takes a very long time. And I, I commend you for doing that, Adrian, because that's really tough, creating a book. Uh, books are well organized and they're vetted. So that's a really good source to get your knowledge. So I do also like to read books. Um, it's not my preferred way of doing it, but it, I feel like it stretches me a little bit when I do learn from books. Is so your method you... of uh, learning kind of like Adrian's where it's motivation based or do you, you said you just hop on Pluralsight and learn something new. Is that like a whole <laughs> language or is that a specific chunk that you're, that you're after? Yes, it's just in time <laughs> learning. 
I guess you can call it just like uh, like Adrian's style as well. So whenever I feel like I need to learn something, that's when I go do it. Um, and I think that's the best way to do it because if I go learn something and I don't apply it right away, I'm going to forget it. There's sure. so much stuff out there that you have to learn it and immediately apply it. And what's the best way to do that is if you have some kind of time-sensitive pressure that you need to learn it and apply yep, it right totally away. Totally agree. Got it. Now, when it comes to these video courses and books and things like that, is the time commitment to actually leverage these um, quite large or, or is, are a lot of books um, and courses structured in a way to where you can spend uh, 15 minutes um, inside of one of these platforms and, and get a lot out um, of it? I think it depends. For, for my book personally, um, there was a, a deadline attached to that. Um, there were milestones needed for specific chapters along with the coding activities and potential answer keys. So uh, that in particular really, really stretched my time management skills. Uh, I had to do that while I was working full time. And well, actually, I meant, uh, sorry, sorry, sure. uh, let me be a little more clear. I meant from the perspective of somebody who's actually trying to be educated ah. from this material. Can they can they come into one of these videos or come into a book? and immediately get something out of it? Or is it one of those things where you have to see? I, it I think it end? depends. I mean, if you're going in there, just like we have just in time learning to to learn something, uh, if there's only a sure. specific problem at hand that you're trying to solve, then sure, I think you can go search for a specific course or look in a particular portion of the book and get your answer right there, similar to finding a Stack Overflow answer. But I think for a more lasting uh, knowledge, something that you'll remember to do without referencing or anything like that i i personally think you'd have to go into it a little bit longer and go see it through to the end sure and uh your opinions on this alex um i do like to be able to hop in and learn yeah. just what i need but i do also if i if i want to learn a topic uh from beginning to end i appreciate those video courses that might have me building an entire application from start to finish and that might take a few days for me to finish sure and it'll be you know from a to z everything about a framework or everything about a platform yeah so so with uh with the internet being as as awesome or i guess as terrible if you want to think of it that way as it could be um why why would i say uh, participate in a course or why would I purchase a, a book or download a book when there's other alternatives that maybe are free instead like like YouTube you said there's tons of great content on YouTube why would I why would I go through a video course on on Pluralsight or similar when I can go on YouTube or why why could I why would I want to pick up a book when I could view a blog post um, any feedback on that uh, so uh, just just to make to be clear um, you're, you're basically asking how would books and courses differ from getting a one-off tutorial on YouTube, for example, right? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, uh, like I said before, I mean, I mean, uh, you could go and find a YouTube video if you're looking for a specific topic. It's kind of like finding a stack overflow answer, right? But let's say that you were looking for uh, more depth of knowledge that you wanted to go in and learn from beginning to end, that's where a video course or a book would be handy because then they would take you in one specific style that you might enjoy. Uh, for example, if you enjoy a certain author, 
you might want to go and learn the entire topic from that author in the same style. So if you're taking a course, the entire course is going to be created in that same style. Um, so it'll have visuals, it'll have um, demos, and everything will be at a certain pace. Uh, whereas if you're, if you're looking for YouTube videos, you might get a different, um, different authors, uh, different styles, and uh, it won't mesh. So a course will take you, you know, it'll give you the full depth. Adrian? Uh, yeah, I, I agree that? in that sense that, you know, um, for the specifically for liking a certain author's or professor's style, that certainly resonates with me. Um, whenever I do need to search for something, I usually look up specific people to see if they have written something on it, because I know their writing style is something that I can understand. Um, the only other thing I would probably add uh, in specifically with books or uh, courses, is that they provide a lot of the structure uh, for you. And that's something you don't get if you're just doing it piecemeal on your own. Uh, whoever creates these uh, pieces of content has done that homework for you. Um, I know I certainly did that with my book and making sure it's in a structured fashion. I'm sure Alex does that for his courses. All of that extra work done to make sure it has a good workflow, you build upon old things that you've learned in previous chapters. I feel like those are the things uh, you would not get if you were just doing piecemeal one-off uh, blog posts and YouTube videos. Awesome. No, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've explored, I, I, just to confirm, Alex, you've never written a book, right? Or have you? No, I have not. I've tried, but uh, miserable failure. And, and Adrian, uh, have you ever done any video courses? I just finished my first one. That should be coming out soon. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's correct. That's right, LinkedIn with, with Linda Learning, correct? <laughs> Great. Congrats. Yeah, oh, LinkedIn. They, it's uh, LinkedIn is it, is Learning, it LinkedIn or also Lynda.com. They acquired them, so I think they're fully going to go to LinkedIn Learning now, but I don't know when that's official yet. Uh, it's... I think uh, Linda got acquired by LinkedIn, and then Microsoft acquired LinkedIn. Correct. All the names are learning. everywhere, but uh, I think Got now, it. moving forward, they will be using LinkedIn Learning, is what I last heard. <laughs> yeah. I definitely want to ask you questions on this coming up, uh, your experience versus the two. Um, but before that, because we've already explored video courses and books, um, I know another popular thing that people use for, for learning is, is conferences. Uh, do either uh, of you attend as, conferences? Not as much as I used to, but I would like yes. to attend more. Um, is it not, not as much as you used to because you weren't finding value in them or because um, um, the just other priorities? The positions I held, uh, I guess, just had better budget for it. Uh, right now, the positions I have doesn't have that sure. budget to allow me to go. Where I'm going with this is I'm, I'm just curious, based on the two of your experiences of participating in con um, conferences um, versus other, other content outlets, um, what are your opinions as far as, as learning and growing your skills through, through these types of outlets? Uh, I mostly go for conferences uh, to mingle with people. Yes, once in a while, there are interesting talks that come up, and uh, it's good, but I don't really find them... Um, as deep learning experiences. Sure. Now I've never taken workshops at conferences, so that may be a very different experience for people that do take workshops, but I, I use conferences more like a networking thing and also 
to get a get an idea of what's upcoming up and coming you know in the technology world sure yes um i also go purely for um mingling and finding other people and talking about their particular experiences at their jobs and same as i have never taken a workshop but i feel like that would be a very valuable experience um, every now and then there will be a really good talk that just everything that they're saying resonates or you feel like you can apply that as soon as you get back to work uh so in that sense um I, that's why i like going to conferences sure so so primarily for the networking less so yeah. much for the education of the lecture uh talks right yeah i think we're on the same page got it got it yeah i think that's been my experience as well um, as somebody who goes to conferences uh, the lectures every once in a while you get one that's that's super amazing um you definitely get to learn about what uh what people are working on more than anything uh and network but as far as as learning i i personally have better experiences with the the courses and the books and stuff like that so now now i want to shift gears here and talk into kind of uh, what's it take as a as a content uh kind of developer like um producing books producing courses uh, things like that. So uh, let's let's start with Adrian and your book. Um, so what what went into this process? I know that you're very motivation based learning. Uh, pretty much. So when I was when my publisher reached out to me for this book, um, at first I actually did not want to do it because I saw the schedule of milestones and all the deadlines, and I I was about to say no because I already had my own deadlines at work, so I didn't think I could do it. But for whatever reason, I I don't know, I felt like I just wanted to see if I could do this. And the that fact that being an author, that's a pretty cool achievement, I think, that really drove me to, to take this opportunity. And that's what I did. And uh, it wasn't easy. Those deadlines, I, I wrote this book in the span of about three months, which um, they needed that because... Um, you know, they had a projected sale date. And before that, all this editing, this thorough technical review, the art, all of the things that go into publishing a book needed to occur before the on-sale date. Uh, so it was definitely, uh, it was very, it was difficult to to say the least, to do, to write this book uh, after coming home from my nine to five and trying to rewrite specific sections uh, so that they are understandable and fun for a kid when they're reading it. Awesome. And do you feel like you actually grew? I would say I I have a very good understanding of it and I could lead others to it, but I I would say absolutely it has definitely sure. deepened my knowledge of the language because in order for me to create these activities or do these uh to even explain the concept of, you know, how do you do a for loop? What is a for loop? And then to explain how to do it in Python, you need to have a very you know, good understanding of that before you can even begin to write about it. Sure. And you said yeah. that the the publisher reached out to you and, and I assume you didn't have Python on your resume. Um, so this came through to my Instagram, which uh, I have a lot of things to be thankful for. I started that when I started this, the current job that I'm in, and I had no intention of becoming an influencer or any of these things. I simply wanted to share bits of my life as a software engineer. And I did that. And um, as it sort of kind of grew, I wanted to focus on, on teaching things. And that's what I did on my Instagram, uh, along with posting pictures of myself. I, I really wanted to focus on teaching programming concepts. So I would do that. And I that related to a lot of people. It caught on. And that's 
I believe that's how I, I grew and grew. And uh, that caught the attention of the publishers. So that's how they reached out to me because they, they enjoyed how I was teaching these concepts uh, in this method. You know, there's only so much you can write in, a, in an IG caption. And uh, since they reached out to you and, and you weren't a self-published author, um, did you background check these people? Or, I mean, how did you know that they were legitimate uh, publisher? <laughs> Absolutely, I did. I mean, from the beginning, they were very professional in their their correspondence. Uh, obviously, researched their their company, researched other books that have been published by them, and yes, they were very, very, very legit. I don't think I would have gone with them. Otherwise. Sure. And when it comes to writing um, this book, um, and I, I'm sure that every publisher has their own uh, requirements. I mean, did you have to use any kind of special software? Is this something that's readily available to a developer um, to be successful in writing? Absolutely. They, uh, at least for them, they were very open and flexible as long as uh, they can make edits sure. to it. So I wrote most of this book on Google, Google Docs. That's how we Got did it. it. As far as content ideas go, is this, did, were they like, here, we need this, you figure out what you want to do, or did they actually give you like a, a table of contents and they said, write this. How did, how did that work? Yes, they had a general idea. So what the cool thing about Callisto in particular is that uh, the way they do their books is they use a lot of data analytics to see and research what topics sure. are most needed or requested. And then that's how they seek out authors to write on these, these topics. Uh, but yes, they had a very, um, very tentative rough outline uh, of what should go in this book but i definitely had a, a large say in what i thought would be better for a foundational book like this for kids so i had a lot of freedom to change what i i uh wanted to put in the book now over this three month span that you spent writing it was three months right yes yeah over this three month span that you spent writing the book i mean i assume that there's there's a lot of content in this this book um you, how did you kind of maintain the flow um, to, to bring it all together? Or is it like, like mini games, I guess you would say in a video game? Is it separate, separate <laughs> content uh, um, that's not really relevant to each other in, in a flow? Very much so. It was very, like you said, mini game style. So in, for the first milestone, I had to have chapters one and two finished. And one and two are just very foundational. What is Python? How do you install it? Uh, have some screenshots. How do you install it on Windows versus on Mac? Uh, all of these different end goals to what they are supposed to learn out of that chapter. And when I went to go write these, I would take my time and just and do the parts that were accessible to me. So uh, taking the screenshots, I did that when I could. That was obviously a little bit more tedious. Uh, and then actually writing the instructions and doing that, I may have done that at a different time. And right before my milestone deadline, I would kind of put it together, make sure to go through it, make sure the flow made sense uh, because I worked on these different parts at different times. Got it, got it. Um, now let's let's move into Alex. So Alex is a different story. His is more recording based than writing based, right, Alex? That's correct. Well, it does involve writing. There's there's quite a bit of writing. It's just not uh, as structured. Right, tell, or... tell me about it. Tell yeah. me about it then. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the process is um, probably not as rigorous because I have the options of changing things on the fly while I'm recording. Um, so there is quite a bit of planning involved in creating courses. There's content organization, 
there's building of the actual demos. Then there's the recording process, the editing process, graphics, audio, and then finally publishing. So I'm doing that currently all myself because I have my own platform. Now, a different if, if you're going to do course creation, there's different ways of doing it. You can go through a publisher like LinkedIn Learning, for example, where you have to create the content and then you just show up and it's a rigorous week or so that you spend in the recording booth. Oh, and yeah. I'm sure you just, you, you've just gone through this agent, so you can probably attest to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty intense. So you, you just show up with your content, you record it, and then you're done. And then they take it over, they edit it, they publish it, they do all the graphics, and then it's done. But they take, you know, they take a bit of the cut for that, quite a bit of the cut. Sure. The nice thing about that process is that you don't have to worry about it afterwards. You might have to do an update later on, but they take care of marketing, uh, advertising, everything, and uh, they have a base of students already that are signed up. Um, then there's Pluralsight. Pluralsight has a slightly different model, but they're constantly updating. Pluralsight's model is that you create the course yourself, you do all the content, organization, editing, graphics, um, post-production audio, and then they just check it. They check it, and then they put it on their platform and publish it. So um, so, so in the event of Pluralsight and, and LinkedIn Learning, are they, are they providing you with the software they want you to use during this process, or is it whatever you feel comfortable with? Uh, for Pluralsight, uh, you have to do everything yourself. All you're providing to them is just the final video files. For LinkedIn, you're doing everything on their site. Sure. Uh, so you, you, at least for first-time authors, they do that because they want to keep a certain, a certain standard and quality. Not everybody has a, a, cert, a setup uh, at home available to them. You know, yeah. you have your audio gear. Uh, preamps, A to D converters, and you have to have a nice recording system set up. So not everybody has that. So that's that's a nice thing about going to LinkedIn is that they they send you out there. Uh, I believe it's close to where you are, Nick, and um, and they record everything and they edit it for you. So which is nice. They they maintain that quality. So, so, and th- this is a question for both of you, since you've both been through the LinkedIn learning process, um, when it comes to creating these, this developer content for them, I, I know it's not like a book where you can just reread it and ch- make changes to typos and things like that. When you record a course or a part of a course uh, for these companies um, and you have stutters in your voice or you have certain, like you say, um, or, uh, like I do all of the time, um, what What's what's the process? Do they make you re-record? Do they edit that kind of stuff out? Do they not take you at all? Um, <laughs> um, there's, uh, oh, there's an audition process. You yeah. have to do that sure. before you do anything, right, Adrian? Sure, that's correct. Yeah. Um, I so will. I think by... oh. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I will say that there, there's a running joke, at least in LinkedIn, where when you are recording uh, these parts. Uh, it depends. I had to write scripts since I was, this is my first course ever with them. So I was basically reading off of my scripts. And there's this point that they make where 
you know, with audio, you have to be a little bit more energetic because if you're talking at your normal uh, rate, it does, it sounds like you're bored on the, on audio yeah. in the, in the course. And that was something that I had a lot of trouble with. So it's very awkward <laughs> to kind of energize my voice. It almost felt like it was too much, but it was coming out just right. But in terms of the edits, uh, there's this running joke where if you do stutter or you mess up or you say something wrong, uh, you would say rephrase and you would start over from the beginning. And that uh, alerts the editing team to say to know that they're going to cut that part out and use the next part. Um, hopefully that you would get correct the next time. Oh, I would love I would just love to get a hand <laughs> uh, on to get my hands on my original uh, tape. Oh, my gosh. It was probably all rephrase, rephrase, yep. rephrase, rephrase. <laughs> So, so it, much it, of that. Yep. It sounds like it's potentially a, a, a far more exhausting process than a book then. Is that, is that correct? Uh, it's exhausting yeah. while you're doing it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, when they gave me the tour, you know, they had a little snack and tea area. And I wasn't, I understood now why they had a lot of herbal tea. And there's one specifically <laughs> called throat coat. I probably drank. What? Yeah, I probably drank a lot of that. A lot of tea with honey. Because after every episode or every course that you do uh, you divide your topics up into videos uh, three minute videos and you know with all the rephrase and rephrase and oh i screwed up and oh you're not energetic enough the the amount of times that you have to repeat and speak really takes a toll on your your voice so that was definitely needed all of that tea <laughs> wow and um, uh, i use that technique by the way I do use the the T technique. That's really good. But yeah. I actually use the rephrase technique now, even to this day. Yeah, it's really handy uh -huh. yeah, because, especially if you're handing your off your uh, your videos to an editor, oh, yeah. it's, you just tell them cut it on the phrase, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So, so I guess this brings up the part two of this question. Um, first of all, in your videos, because I'm curious, are you is it all screen or do you do you show your your face on the videos as well? Out of curiosity, is it all just screen recording, or or is there FaceTime as well? Uh, at least. Uh, oh, go ahead, Alex. Go. I thought that was for you. Oh, okay. Either of you, since yeah. you both have experience <laughs> with this. Uh, at least for my LinkedIn Learning course, most of it was screencast because it is showing sure. something. But uh, luckily, the intro video does have some live film, so I got to introduce myself and be shown. Sure. Because my, my question around this is when it comes to editing, because, you know, things like Angular and React and all of these other JavaScript frameworks, they change every day, yeah. pretty much. Uh, when it comes to making edits to those videos, I mean, what do they do about, well, if if now you've lost half your hair or you're, you've got now smoker voice <laughs> or there's major changes with, with your presentation style? How do they how do they make it so that way it's um, kind of blends in, I guess you can say? I know they do uh, revision courses, so at least for sure. these, all most of them seem to be screencast, so that's not an issue. Uh, but for they do Got have it. other courses where you are live on film and you are teaching something. Uh, I don't know how that works with them. <laughs> Any comment, Alex? When I did my LinkedIn course, uh, they thought, "Oh, this guy is not." camera worthy so they i didn't have to do uh, any on-camera appearances i only did the screencasts but uh, in my own courses i do the the camera uh, at home sure so uh, i you know i 
I, I don't really pay attention to how much hair I have on my face on that day. So I just, uh, I just do it. Uh, and sometimes it might not match. That's okay. Uh, I think the most important thing is that the, 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 you know, what you, the message that you're trying to get across comes sure. through. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, in, because in regards to um, the kind of cut that you get, you mentioned that uh, LinkedIn takes a, a cut that's much higher than say that, that you would have taken from you. Um, if you were doing your own platform, what kind of experience do, and you don't have to share financial information, but what kind of experience do the two of you have when it comes to courses or books and things like that? Is it, is it worth it in the end to, to produce? I guess you can say that. Uh, you can go ahead, Alex, since you have a larger course following. Um, sure. So let me start with, uh, I'll, I'll compare all the three different ways I've done it. Uh, I'll start with Pluralsight because that was my first one. Sure. And that course took me a long, long time. It took me about half a year to create that course. It was my first course. And uh, then I did another course for them, which took a lot less time. So, uh, you know, every time I do a course, it takes less and less time. Pluralsight, on average, on yeah. average, what are you at right now as far as time? To knock out a single course, uh, I can probably do a course in a month, including all the recording, writing, and editing. And it's yeah. just like a, a three-hour course, a six-hour course. This is a three to four-hour course. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so Pluralsight does take a lot, but they're they have a very large developer community, right? So a lot of people are looking at their courses. A lot of companies purchase Pluralsight subscriptions for their developers. Sure. So my course is from 2016, and it's old and outdated, yet people are still watching it and I'm still getting royalty checks. So if I had done Pluralsight and if I had kept going with Pluralsight, it would have been very lucrative for me to keep going with them. However, um, there's a, a certain bit of satisfaction that I get from having my own platform and creating my own courses and having that control over my own courses and my own destiny, so to speak. Um, now let me get back to LinkedIn. With LinkedIn, they do a lot of the work for me. So um, I didn't have to do the editing. I didn't have to do the graphics or the production, which was nice. But my royalty checks from that are pretty sad, I have to say. <laughs> it's, it's been the is lowest. That, is that uh, sad because nobody's uh, watching them? Or is that just sad because the cut is so high? I don't know. The visibility into LinkedIn learning is very small for authors. Sure. I have no access to any of the um, reports or analytics, which is very difficult for me to follow. So I kind of gave up on that. But for Pluralsight, um, one nice thing they have is that all the authors kind of share and you can see all the authors and how they're performing and you can see where you are. You have full analytics uh, access, which is really nice. Um, so you can kind of see where you are. You can see where the other authors, you can see where the top authors are, which is pretty impressive. Some people are making a lot, a lot of money if we're talking financials, um, plural site. Now you have, now there are some people that have 50 to 70 courses on there, right? So sure. once you build that up, once you build up your, your bookshelf, so to speak, then you have that. Um, but for me, um, I find it most satisfying to do my own courses at my own pace. I don't nearly make as much money, but it's more enjoyable for me. You get the, you still get that satisfaction that you're helping on the developers, right? That's true also, yes. 
and I and get it, more direct communication. So I know my students, right? Sure. My students and I can email each other anytime. And I get that feedback from my students and I, imp and I implement it in my courses. Makes perfect sense. How about from your perspective, Adrian, when it comes to the book? Uh I think it's absolutely worth it. Uh, in terms of finances, I'm sure I could probably write my own or maybe use something like Lean Pub, where the margins are certainly much higher. Uh, but for me, I think at least for this first book, it was it was enough for me to be able to see my book uh, in in Barnes and Noble, in in every Barnes and Noble in the country. So for the cut that they take to you know make that happen, I'm okay with. Uh, in the future, I would probably um, start looking, like I said, into publishing my own books, uh, trying to um, make it a little bit leaner so that more people can access it. And um, But I, I totally think it's worth it, uh, if not for the finances, definitely for the experiences and the other opportunities that can, can come from it. Awesome. Um, since we're just about out of time here. I want to give you both an opportunity to maybe share your kind of last minute words of wisdom, whether it be uh, just learning in general as a developer or, or teaching as, uh, as a developer to other developers. You don't think you're getting off that easily, right? I know that you also publish <laughs> content and you've published courses. So why don't you share your story too? I, yeah, yeah. I can share my story most certainly. Um, so I do have courses uh, circulating. I have courses circulating primarily on Udemy, so I've gone a different route than all of you, um, which isn't is probably a bad thing because I it hasn't hasn't been too great for me. Um, I also have an ebook that I've written that I've published on Gumroad, so I, I self published. Um, as as far as uh, what went into it, a lot of time does go into it. I spent a lot of time writing the book. I spent uh, several months. It's a it's a web services book for JavaScript. Uh, the courses. Um, the courses take a lot of time too. I'm I'm kind of with Alex on on the whole. It takes about a month on average to do a course uh, of that duration. Um, so I mean that that involves coming up with material that comes uh, along the lines of editing the course, uh, marketing the course, all all kinds of self publishing kind of stuff. Um, so it is a lot of work. Uh, like I said, um, uh, the plural site approach or the LinkedIn Learning or even having your own platform is probably a little better since it's more widely recognized. I'm definitely not making enough money from from uh, Udemy or or Gumroad to to quit my day job, um, but I do have that satisfaction of that. Hey, I've, I'm now helping other developers. They've they've followed my blog. Uh, they've they know my style. Um, they know my pace exactly as the two of you mentioned, um, and now they're getting a little little more depth in what they're learning. Um, in terms of courses and books. So I, I agree absolutely with the two of you. If that, if that sums it up, I mean, do you guys have any questions for me that maybe I could answer? Turn it around on me. Are you going to keep, uh, oh, by the way, what was the name of your book? Uh, yeah, so I wrote a book called Web Services for the JavaScript Developer, okay. uh, which, is, which is GraphQL and uh, REST. Oh, very relevant uh, these days. Yeah, it's relevant. It's, it's definitely not... Uh, kind of a deep dive into JavaScript or anything like that. There's, there's tons of material on that. Um, but it's just my spin. It's something that I've spent time working on. And I thought, hey, I, I, can, I can teach all the hardships that I went through learning the process to somebody else. And hopefully it's not, not uh, something that they spend too much time trying to figure out as well. And since you've done both, would you prefer doing video courses or writing books in the future? 
Yeah, so it's it's a it's a crossover. So I like the fact that it's very easy to update a ebook or or even a printed book um, as technology changes and it, technology changes so much. Um, but I think I I have more fun recording a course, even though that it is probably a nightmare, at least for me, to update and and kind of keep modern. Um, just my personal opinion. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you if either of you share the same opinions. Oh, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's uh it's it's different. I I I like doing both, but I a, a part of me likes doing the video stuff more. I can agree with that. Yeah, love doing the video courses. Love it. Yeah, it, it is very hard work. Uh, I'm not it is. Gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It's hard work, but it's it's very satisfying. Yeah, it is. And yeah, I definitely plan to do more. I'm actually, uh, I'm not quite done with it, but I'm actually writing another book. Um, it's it's this time around web services for the Go uh, developer. Nice. <laughs> so oh. um, taking the same spin on the JavaScript, but this time using the Go programming language. So <laughs> one day that'll come out. Um, again, it's it's after my nine yep. to five type of thing. Yeah, um, great. So and, and you were asking time. about uh, words of wisdom, final words. Yeah, of yeah, wisdom. yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I would say. You know, for those people that are listening that want to get into uh, video course creation, I would say, you know, go for it. Make something small and use whatever equipment you have. Just just do it and, and, and get started. You can even start with publishing YouTube videos and see what kind of traction you get. And that's, I wish, I wish that I started with that first. You know, I wish I started putting up YouTube videos just to see uh, how things go, what people are interested in. And just get some feedback and grow my skills as a video course creator. And then once you do that, you can grow from there. And, you know, the world is your oyster at that point. You can do whatever you want. How about you, uh, Adrian? I would just want everyone listening to know that uh, if you're feeling like, you know, who would listen to me or who would read a book from me or watch a course from me, there will be people. Um, that's exactly how I felt. And I didn't think anybody would want to read anything from me or any of my posts. But the the thing is, there's so many different people who resonate with different styles that you probably have a voice that someone can understand that your style of teaching is something that aligns directly with a large subset of people. So if that's the one thing that's holding you back from creating that course or YouTube video or or book or even a blog post, don't. Um, there's always somebody that will probably align with the your style of teaching, and that is a great starting point for you to continue creating more content. I absolutely agree with that yes. um, because I'm always I'm always uh, questioning on whether or not people would find value in what I'm doing, but the the answer to that is yes, they will be because I find pe- value in certain. Say, for example, books and tutorials myself Absolutely. versus others. Right. As far as my words of wisdom, so mine's a little different here. Uh, my words of wisdom, invest in some high quality recording software if you're doing courses. Um, I, I used to use iMovie. Nothing wrong with iMovie, but there's software that, that makes your life a whole lot easier um, when it comes to recording and editing. Um, so if, if you can save yourself the time, um, it, it'll, it'll make the experience a lot better for you. For example, I use ScreenFlow for Mac. I know uh, a lot of people use Camtasia. I don't know what you're using, uh, Alex, for your recording. Uh, I use ScreenFlow. 
Yeah. 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 And I mean, it's definitely maybe not for everyone. I, I personally like it. it. It's definitely reduced my edit time probably by 50% at least. Um, likewise, invest in a good, uh, good microphone. Um, make sure that people uh, don't have a problem hearing you. Yes, um, yes. So I, I would actually take that a step further and say it's more important to have good audio than good video. Yeah, especially if you're recording a video course uh, because people probably are not reading subtitles. They're, they're listening to you. Exactly. Um, all right, then I appreciate uh, the two of you being on this particular podcast episode. I definitely think that uh, people will find value in it uh, from both the perspective of learning as well as educating. Um, and then maybe um, as we progress, uh, we'll, we'll have you back on the show, uh, maybe for similar related topics. Sure, that'd be great. Yes. Thank you for having us, Nick. I'm hoping that you found this episode of the podcast to be useful when it comes to growing yourself as a developer through learning resources, whether that be books, videos, conferences, blogs, whatever it may be. If you want to check out some of the courses that Alex produced, you can check them out at nativescripting.com. Most of the courses are on the native script development topic, um, but you can find his other work on LinkedIn Learning, like you mentioned in this episode of the podcast. When it comes to Adrian Tack, you can find her book, Coding for Kids Python, on Amazon. Or like she mentioned in this show, you could also find it at Barnes & Noble's bookstores, which are common in the United States. I'm honestly not too sure if they are located elsewhere, um, but definitely in the United States or on Amazon.com. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, it would mean a lot to me if you went into iTunes or wherever you're listening to it from and left it a five-star rating and review. Maybe said something nice about the podcast, give future listeners an idea of what they're getting themselves into when they start to listen to this episode or even this show in general. The Polyglot Developer Podcast is looking for sponsors, so if you're a fan of the show or the Polyglot Developer in general, consider being a sponsor so that way you can get your brand or your product or even your organization in front of the Polyglot Developer audience. To learn more, go to thepolyglotdeveloper.com sponsors. And that concludes episode number 31 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast.